Alright, welcome back to the Pursuit of Property podcast. Today we are wrapping up our mini-series on how to buy a home. And today we're going to be talking about the escrow process. So up until this point in episode one of our mini-series, we talked about getting pre-approved. Episode two, we covered showings and making offers. And today we're going to be going based off of you've got your offer accepted and how to navigate the escrow process. So I'm here with my co-host, Scott Farrow. Scott, how are you doing this morning? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm ready. Uh, I think this will be a really good three-part series for people not only to listen to now, but the thing we were talking about is being able to reference this, you know, however long down the road and it still be applicable. I think it's going to be super helpful. Yeah. Um, and hopefully all you guys who have listened to uh, parts one and two have found that to be true as well. Absolutely. So. If you uh, get your offer accepted or when you get your offer accepted, this is a great podcast to come back to um, the day you find out your offer was accepted to kind of see what expectations are coming. Yeah. Um, so let's start. You get your offer accepted. A lot of people start celebrating right then, and that's kind of like the big mistake that you and I always talk about. Yeah, is that sometimes we celebrate too early. It's kind of like uh, you just started dating now, so you're not married yet. No, nope. <laughs> don't get too attached. Yeah, uh, and so we find out a set of timelines and like tasks that each side, the buyer side and the selling side, both are going to get stuck with, right? Yeah, and the first step when it comes to a buyer, that's who we're talking about today, is depositing your earnest money deposit. So, our earnest money deposit comes down to negotiation, but typically we see it between one and 2% of the purchase price. And the earnest money deposit, you tell me if I misconstrue, or misconstrue this, earnest money deposit is a sign of good faith that you are intending to purchase the home. Absolutely. And we were just talking about this too. You had mentioned between one and two percent, um, calling it the good faith deposit, and that kind of relays to the sellers that exactly like you were saying, you're serious about the home, you're serious about moving forward with purchasing the home, right? Um, and the earnest money deposit, a lot of people get confused, a lot of people, um, their emotions run high with the with the earnest money deposit too, which is funny because I think it's just one of those things that is it, it's it's nothing to trip out about. Right? I think it's because it's money. Absolutely, and it, and it's money that originally is coming out of your pocket and not through the loan, right? Right. right. However, the thing about the earnest money deposit is that amount, whether it be one percent or two percent or a different amount, does count towards your final purchase price. Right, it's not on top of your other yes. fees. It's like the first dollars towards your closing costs and down payment. So in the first episode with David, uh, we talked about your cash to close was mm -hmm. the term. Um, if your earnest money deposit is $2,000 on uh, a $200,000 home, well, that's your first $2,000 towards your total cash to close. Absolutely. So don't think that this is extra fees. This is yeah. just showing that you have skin in the game. And this, in return, the seller takes the house off the market and doesn't continue to market it to other people, right? Yeah. So it's kind of a trust thing. Yeah. And one of the big things that we were highlighting before we started the episode that we want to make clear is there is no such thing 
as a non-refundable earnest money deposit. Now we're not gonna go down the rabbit hole with that. Um, specific situations that pop up, um, you know, obviously you'll be working hand in hand with your realtor, but anything having to do uh, with any disputes with the EMD or anything like yeah, that. If things were to go wrong, you had to cancel. Absolutely. We always recommend to consult with your local licensed real estate attorney. So the important part is that your earnest money deposit shows good faith. And I think what we're hinting at here is that there are situations that the buyer, when they walk away from an escrow, if something were to go wrong, they can take their earnest money deposit with them. And there are other situations where they can't. A realtor can give you an opinion, but they can't give you the law. And so that's why we're being a little bit discreet about how we answer that as advised by our broker. Absolutely. And in regards for timeline for the EMD, typically, uh, unless the contract states different, you've got within the first three days after opening escrow to go down and submit that EMD. Yes, so if your escrow was a Friday acceptance, you have Saturday, Monday, Tuesday. Because I think Saturday's considered a day, but Sunday's not, or is Sunday considered a day? Because they're not open on Sundays. They're not open on, yeah. The, the weekends are a, a bit tough to navigate, but at escrow in their timeline, they'll always you know let your agent know, specifically in regards to if there's any holidays mixed in there or anything like that. Escrow will always give you the exact timeline, or at least they should. Right, and I wanna also clarify, we look stupid, but <laughs> we always operate from the opinion of try to get your earnest money in the first day. Oh, absolutely. Because <laughs> I think there's a couple standards that require one, a contract to be ratified with the earnest money deposited, um, but also, if you want to show good faith, show good faith by doing it the first day, not the last day. And not the last day or late. Which... Late would be the absolute <laughs> worst. Yes. Now, we're going to get a little bit out of our own purview uh, to talk about loan docs, but this is an important part of escrow. We really should have a lender on to talk about this section, but yeah. we, we'll do our best. So, yeah. lenders, once escrow is open, require certain things. The most important things are updated documents, often your pre-approval, your showings, your offers, and then finally your escrow. There's mm -hmm. some time lapse and yeah. documents have changed. So lenders will require that you communicate with them right when escrow opens. The agent send over the contract, you send over updated documents. You'll get a list essentially. Yeah. And you submit the entire list and then what the, what the lender does is reaches out to escrow and gets the fees that escrow will be charging because mm -hmm. when you got your pre-approval, you got an estimate. They yeah. want to get the real numbers. Escrow sends that over and the lender sends together a, a pretty big package called the initial disclosures. Yeah. And you need to sign off on the initial disclosures in order to order your appraisal. So there's a couple moving parts here, but the key thing is submit your earnest money deposit and coordinate with your lender to get him any updated bank statements, pay stubs, um, tax returns, whatever, right, that they need. And that sounds, that can sound off the bat like like a hefty task, but you've gotta remember, you know, just to get your pre-approval in hand, you, you already did the majority of that step. You're right. just updating the documents. You're just re-uploading what you uploaded in the past to get your pre-approval. Now, in episode one of our mini-series, when we had David come on, um, that really kind of pushed through any of, you know, challenges or discomforts or reservations about getting pre-approved. But this should be 
really, uh, unless you're just checking the box, unless you have gone out and spent a ton of money, which you, or open new credit or all, all these don'ts that you shouldn't be doing, this step should be relatively straightforward. Right. And um, the purpose for all this is for, for your clarity, right? Mm -hmm. So like the initial disclosure's whole point is to give you some estimates that are much more specific than what your initial estimate was. The final part of the lending process is the final disclosure. That's where everything's locked in and you sign off on that. But because lenders work with their clients to try to get the lowest rate, mm -hmm. if the rates go down in escrow, you can get a better rate. They're just gonna give you a range and they're gonna say this is the max. Yeah. So these are all important. The reason why this portion is really important is because in order to get a loan, you need an appraisal. We'll talk about it. But you need to order your appraisal essentially in this market day one or day two yeah. because we actually have a shortage of appraisers. And appraisers take time to get out to the property, give the bank an evaluation of the property, and then any disputes that might come up from it, right? Yeah, absolutely. So we've got the EMD covered. We've got our um, you know initial loan docs covered. If I'm not mistaken, the next thing that we've got um, that's kind of at the beginning of this timeline are our seller disclosures. Well, the last thing is the insurance. If, oh, you're, that's if right. you're in a mountain that's property right. or anything like that, start looking for an insurance agent ASAP, ASAP because you need your property insurance before you can get a loan. And some properties do have kind of odd requests that are needed in order to get your insurance. So it's its, a, it's own little process, consider it a micro process, yeah. but starting it early is a really good Absolutely, and I'll share a quick example real quick, and always refer to, uh, each situation is gonna be different, always refer to your own insurance agent or agency and stuff like that, but speaking about mountain properties, we had an escrow um, up in Shaver for a cabin where we had to do the same thing, and it was good because at the very beginning, we had to go out, find that insurance guy for, uh, or an agency that would insure up in Shaver after all the fires and stuff like yep. that, yep. and we got everything dialed in, but, and we were ready to close, I think almost a week early, but because insurance, uh, specifically for the mountain properties, when we gave the agency a date for close of escrow, they then can't go back and change that date unless they go through and start the whole process again. So we had to wait out that extra week for it to close. Now, if you were to do that last minute, potentially that could hurt and extend your escrow. So that's a great point to make. I think that yeah. is especially important that a lot of people just yeah. gloss over and we don't talk about a lot. Yeah. So we're talking a lot about the buyer's responsibilities right now. Mm -hmm. Just remember at the same time, each other party has their own responsibilities. Escrows getting certain documents for you. The agents are ordering your inspections. The lender is working with your processor to get your loan docs, your insurance agents working to get you a policy. Mm -hmm. um, so each person, and the seller is working to get you all their disclosures. So each person at the start of escrow kind of has a lot of stuff going on. Um, I think it would be interesting to keep a running tally for your money going. So you opened your escrow, so uh, your earnest money deposits in. So let's go with David's $400,000 purchase. Let's call your earnest money deposit uh, $5,000. Okay. So you have $5,000 out of pocket for your earnest money. Again, it's refundable in some situations. And in others, it's not, but most of the time you're gonna close and it's just gonna to go towards your down payment. Mm -hmm. um, and then you have your appraisal ordered. Your appraisal has to be paid out of pocket up front. So that would be, let's call it 600. Yeah. 
So appraisals vary, it's just like any other service, it can be bid on. Mm -hmm. So but we're gonna call it 600. So you have 5,000 towards your down payment and 600 in expenses. Now let's jump over to the seller disclosures. So that way you know what to expect. Yeah, and seller disclosures are interesting. They, it is, uh, you know, being completely open and honest. Upfront, it is a lot of paperwork and can be very and extremely overwhelming. Absolutely. And that's where it comes into play one having an agent who at least in our case i know we like to sit down with our clients and really have like a like a sit down meeting to review these disclosures because they can be very meaty confusing hard to get through um and essentially what the seller just disclosures are are the sellers coming clean or, or putting everything on paper as to anything they know about the property any changes they've made to the property permitted or unpermitted um, any repairs that have been done. Anything that it. can change the value of the home. Absolutely. So it's it's very, uh, it's it's very complex. Very complex. And again, that's why it comes down to having a great buyer's agent on your side who can help you understand not only what those disclosures are asking the seller, but what the seller's answers really mean, right? And those seller disclosures uh, looking at our escrow timeline as a whole, those are typically due to the buyer, unless otherwise stated, within the first seven days of escrow. And that's for a couple reasons. Um, I think one, it gives you know the agent and the buyer time to, to review all that paperwork, what the sellers have said, what they've explained. And then also using that to potentially, if there's any notes of concern on there when you do your inspections, you can always note that to the inspector. Hey, sellers noted that, you know, they replaced this window unpermitted. It's not really going and go from there, right? So, yeah. So the first step of escrow, the first 17 days are part of your contingency period in most contracts. Your contract can be changed, mm -hmm. but the first 17 days for the buyer are used to inspect the property, review the property's con like disclosures, and work on an appraisal, right, and a loan. So the sellers have a seven day period because they need to be timely providing any information they might have. So the sellers have two mandated documents. One is specifically mandated for every transaction. It's the transfer disclosure statement. Mm -hmm. There are very few exceptions to when, you can't, when you're not doing that. Um, and they have to deal with when somebody's never lived in the property and uh, they inherited it from a parent or whatever. And then they have a different disclosure. But you have the TDS, Transfer Disclosure Statement, and SPQ, Seller Property Questionnaire. Those two walk the sellers through, and there's an assortment of other disclosures that each are required for independent reasons, right? Yep. From like water heater to wood burning, wood burning, uh, water conservation. There's a whole bunch. Yeah. There's also local disclosures, and then there's also broker disclosures. But keep in mind, the purpose is to go through and, and pretty much poke and prod the seller for any information. It asks about theft on property, uh, noise issues, noise complaints, insurance claims, repairs, each of major components like the roof, the AC unit, things of that sort. And again, I think the reason for that seven day period is in order to give the buyer time of 10 days after they've gotten their disclosures at the latest to review. Absolutely. So it's interesting. In the meantime, uh, while you're doing all your loan stuff, a lot of sellers are going through this. And I've seen contracts 
require up to 100 pages of disclosures. And if you were the broker that sold it before, you might even get an entire additional set of the previous sale mm -hmm. just so that you're over disclosed. Yeah. The and whole purpose is to protect everybody. Absolutely. That's exactly what I was going to say. It can be overwhelming from your standpoint as the buyer, but being able to put yourself in that mindset to think this is for my benefit, I think really helps. And again, having somebody to help you walk you through those disclosures and what they mean is huge and can really help you dissect that information. Yeah. Yeah. So that this is all kind of in the first week. You yeah. Earnest money deposit, the appraisals ordered, initial disclosure, seller disclosures. Um, there are a couple other disclosures that come to the buyer in that period that are also not seller related. So escrow is getting a report for you called the preliminary title report, mm -hmm. which is an essentially it's a, a document that breaks down who owns the home, what kind of liens there are attached, what kind of taxes there are with the property, um, information about easements and lien and um, uh, what's lien uh, easements? What's the other one? Uh, Encroachments. And uh, it breaks down all that. The important part about the preliminary title report is to check for who has access to your property. Is the title? Is there clout on title? Meaning, um, you know, somebody else is claiming to own the property. Uh, it, it goes through a whole bunch of stuff. But essentially, your preliminary title report is important to review because it shows who has access to your property. And it also shows um, information about like tax rates and things like that. Yeah, and again, that's coming from escrow. That's not coming from the seller. The seller's not filling out any information on there. They're not um, doing anything that's tied to the prelim. That's coming straight from escrow. And then you wanna explain the other disclosure that comes not from escrow, the NHD? The NHD. So. The NHD uh, stands for the Natural Hazard Disclosure. Um, again, it's a it, it can be a really lengthy document depending, it can look very intimidating. Um, and basically what it's doing is just disclosing for the property in its specific place, in its specific spot in the neighborhood, any you know chances of floods, you know, the flood zone, how it works there, you know, earthquake, uh, any right. anything natural, natural hazard. hazard. Exactly. Um, again, that's really just for your benefit as the buyer, um, making everything open and clear to you so you can have it to review. Right. And again, any house that you buy, especially, let's just use our local market since we know it. Yeah. If you're in most any place in Fresno, you're going to be in a flood zone, a medium flood zone, because we have a large dam to the north of Fresno, the Bryant Dam, that if the dam were to break, Fresno would have a flood. We would be with some water on the streets. So you're disclosed all of this and insurance takes into account this information. And then things like if you're up in the foothills, fire risk, fire hazard, things of that sort. Earthquake hazard is obviously common in, in California because we have tectonic plates, things of that sort. So yeah, so you have seller disclosures, you have the preliminary title report, you have uh, the NHD, and then agents both do what's called an agent visual inspection disclosure. And um, it's really simple. Agents are required to walk through the house and note what they see. Uh, it can be as simple as new carpet, new paint, or it could be as complex as um, I can, you know, uh, discoloration located above the bathroom. Uh, you know, it's always just a disclosure of what they see. We can't make any statements about what it is or how it got there or our suspect or our 
suspicions on what that means. It's just a disclosure of what we see. And it's important to note um, for the AVID that both the buyer's agent and seller's agent do, it really cannot be used and should not be looked at as uh, in a, uh, an official home or pest inspection it's of the absolutely property. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So we always typically recommend um, to our buyers to at least do two inspections, a home inspection and pest inspection, but our visual inspection is not should not be counted as an official inspection report. So that's a perfect transition. So you're in the first 17 days, you received your seller disclosure, your preliminary title report, and your uh, NHD, and it's time for you to go to your inspections. So in the whole time all this is happening, your agent, your buyer's agent, should be helping advise you on these are some of the inspections you should get. Here are the inspectors I trust with these inspections and then going over the cost. The most common is the home inspection. Mm -hmm. The home inspector goes over uh, all of the fa main functions of the home. You know, plumbing, electric, uh, he walks the roof, they check the AC and furnace, they check all the appliances, they check all of the uh, running water, water heater. They're kind of like the um, jack of all trades inspector. Yeah. And often they call out on specific things to have a specialized inspector come out for certain big issues. Mm -hmm. So we always recommend that because they're kind of like the first layer of checking. Absolutely. We also always recommend a pest inspector. You want to explain? Because like a pest inspector sounds very misleading than what it really is. Yeah. So a pest inspector, um, again, unless you're going with some sort of specialized company specifically looking um, for something, they're really going out there and one, looking for any termites, any dry rot damage, um, subterranean termites, any dry rot damage and stuff like that. Um, they're not specifically looking for um, like rodents or ants or, or stuff like that. They're really there to kind of cover those main things. Subterranean termites and any wood rot, wood damage, uh, fascia damage due to wood rot and, and stuff like that. Right. And, um, and yeah. not to get too off topic, but there's two types of termites too. There's mm -hmm. subterranean and dry wood. Uh, That's right. Right. And then when, when you say dry rot, for those who don't know what dry rot is, it's a water-inflicted uh, fungus on wood. So dry rot is a damaging uh, uh, wood-destroying fungus. So they look for water damage, active or past, or potential, and they look for any form of termite, signs of previous infestation, current infestation, or uh, potential increases in risk of infestation, like earth-to-wood contact. Yeah. And going back to, I know we've been kind of keeping a running tally of out-of-pocket costs for you as the buyer. You can typically expect uh, the pest inspection, depending on company and depending on if you're having them do any other specialized stuff like that, your right. basic pest inspection is gonna cost about 90, 95 bucks. 95 bucks, 100 bucks, around there. Um, for the home inspection, you can expect 200, 300, 300, kind I, of a few hundred bucks, right? I always say expect it to be about 400 and okay. be pleasantly surprised if it's less. Okay. The reason why the home inspection varies more is because it varies on foot, you know, square footage, location, time of the week. Like if you request it on a weekend, you're going to have an extra cost. Whereas the pest inspection, they're very quick, you know, whereas a home inspection might be four hours, a pest inspection might be 25 minutes. 
So, you know, you get what you pay for. So you're looking at an additional, let's call it 500 bucks for your pest and home inspection on top of your already paid for $600 uh, appraisal. These are your like costs. That, these are not going to get refunded no matter what happens. No matter what happens. So you got 1100 bucks. The right. other inspections we always, you know, toss out as recommendations, roof inspectors, they're about a hundred bucks. They're much more like loosey goosey. They go as they please. They'll go walk the roof. They'll give you an opinion. And essentially they'll tell you, these are the issues with the roof. And if you fix these issues, you can pay to get a certification where if the roof starts leaking for any reason within two years, um, you know, you can get the roofer company to come out for free to fix it. Right? So that's another really good option, especially if you notice that there's potential issues with the roof. If your agent recommends it, or if your home inspector walks the roof and says, "We, I recommend a licensed roofer come out and give you a uh, quote." These are things that you know. That's a big ticket item. I would highly recommend you bring up. And it's important for you as the buyer um, to not only go off your agent's recommendation for a home inspection and a, and a pest inspection, for example, but if you, as the buyer, have a need and you have a want, if the house has a pool and you want to get a specialized pool guy out there. It, yeah, exactly like you were saying, the roof. This is the time to do it, right? If, if it makes you feel more comfortable to have somebody specific and specialized go out there and do yeah. it, yeah. remember it is an out-of-pocket cost to you, but you're buying the home. If that makes you the most comfortable, go ahead and do those inspections. You're putting a couple hundred thousand dollars in debt on the house. It's important that you spend a couple thousand bucks to make sure yeah. that you're buying a good investment. So a pool inspector is an additional person that you can have out, HVAC guys, Yep. Uh, sewer uh, specific sewer line, absolutely. Yep. sewer line inspection I'm trying to think if there's any other ones I use pretty commonly roofing was the other kind of outsider top three that I was thinking of too roofers, uh, septic and well if well, you're out in the country or something like that which well and septic is what I would say another uh very much recommended it, inspection to it's do. Mandatory. <laughs> if you're buying a house on a private well and private septic, it is absolutely mandatory that you get those inspected because I just dug a well and it cost me $30,000 and six or seven months of my time. And we've also reconstructed septic tanks, which is upwards of ten dollars to $20,000, depending on what you're doing. Um, so if you're if you're on anything like that, make sure to get your major components checked out. Important to note here too, real quick, just like your lender should be ordering the appraisal on day one or day two, as long as you uh, sign those initial disclosures, you should be working closely with your agent to also order these inspections ASAP. You know, especially in a market like this, or depending on if you're working with a popular, reputable company they can be booked out you know week two weeks weeks in advance depending on their schedule right yeah and we really try to stick to that day 17 timeline so ordering those inspections on day one or day two is pretty much crucial you know in order to stick to your uh end of the timeline absolutely so you're you agree to something our goal is to always stick in it so if you're generically looking at a 17 day inspection period you want to have your inspections and appraisal completed by at least day 14 um, in order to give yourself a couple of days to review all of the information and make any request for repairs that you might have. 
So let's talk about the appraisal real quick, and then yeah. we'll talk about request for repairs. Let's do it. So with an appraisal, again, your appraisal should be one of the first things you order on day one of escrow because it takes a long time for the appraiser to get out. The purpose of an appraisal is for the bank to send out a third party who does a completely independent investigation of value. It is not tied to the real estate market or anything like that or anybody within the transaction. An appraiser is an independent sole person. And in 2008, people were able to pick their appraiser. That was such a big problem that there are tons of laws about how the appraiser gets picked. Yeah. And essentially, it's a lottery system. And so your lender puts out your offer of do an appraisal on this house for $600. And the appraiser picks it up. The appraiser then schedules it with your agent and goes out to the house in two weeks, right? So two weeks goes by, they go out to the house, they take photos, they look for certain things such as smoke detectors and uh, double-strapped water heaters. These are required for almost every loan that you'll find. Um, and then they also take photos to run comps. They run their independent comparable analysis with all the other sold homes and they give you an appraisal report which essentially is like, it's like the word of God in the transaction. It can be changed if you dispute it, but most of the time, I'd say 85 to 90% of the time, once the appraisal's in, it doesn't change. That's the appraised value. And let's talk about the actual time the appraiser is there too, because you as the buyer and obviously the seller and the agents, everybody who's involved, the appraiser usually is one, out there at the property by themselves, or two, typically with the listing agent will be, at least us as the listing agents, we like to be present with the appraiser there, let them into the property, um, provide comparables, stuff like the that. The biggest thing too is if there, if we can see that there's gonna be required changes, we can tell the seller right away to get on them. And typically, and correct me if I'm wrong, the sellers themselves and you as the buyer are not present for the appraisal. You cannot. Yeah, no, in my opinion, it is not reasonable for a seller or buyer to be present. Absolutely. If the whole purpose of the person is to be a neutral third party. Yep. So, um, this is where it's important what loan you have. VA loans, appraisers, are they have a much harder task. They take longer to schedule, and they take longer to get the report back. So, if you're a VA, note that. They also have a lot of uh, repairs, usually. It's very rare that you get... I just had one last year. It was a as-is VA appraisal, but usually they have like things that need to get fixed and re-inspected. Conditions attached to the appraisal mm -hmm. in order to, the make to make value. But let's just go more basic in FHA. FHA just requires that you don't have any dry rot like we talked about, and then you can't have any um, active water damage. And then conventional, you can kind of have those things because you're typically a better borrower or you're typically putting down a higher amount, so your loan doesn't require. But just know that, that if your appraiser goes out, he might have some conditions. And then again, the purpose of the appraisal is for the bank. So remember that if the appraisal comes in way above your value of your purchase price, it doesn't really have any effect. It's great you walk in into equity, right? But what happens if your appraisal comes in way low, your bank's only gonna lend on the lower number. So let's go back to our 400,000 example. Do you wanna explain what happens if the uh, appraisal comes in at 380? So if the appraisal comes in at 380, the transaction, unless otherwise stated in the buyer's offer, is kind of at a stalemate. 
Right. It goes it, into like a negotiation. It, exactly. You're kind of thrown into the negotiating stage again. The sellers were expecting 400000 That's what you as the buyer offered and the sellers agreed to. Now, the appraiser went out there and the bank says, nope, it's only worth three eighty. We're only going to loan on three eighty. Really, the options are you as the buyer can or the sellers can negotiate for a lower purchase price. They can negotiate for the buyer to bring more money to the table to cover some or all of that gap to get you back to your agreed upon contract price. Uh, that negotiating stage that you're thrown into can really go a whole bunch of different ways. And it's important to also be working with an agent who has your best interests in mind to you know, try, if your goal is really to get into the house, for them to go up and bat for you to try and keep the deal together. Because especially if that happens, emotions can be running high, both for the sellers and you as the buyer. That can be you know, a big hit yeah. you know, for your emotions. So it's important to keep your cool, go back to the, the, the uh, negotiating stage and get it all dialed in. So let's walk through the different options again. So um, if the purchase price was 400,000 and the appraisal price was 380, your options are as follows. And there's anywhere in between. There's buyer comes up with the additional $20,000 out of their own pocket, whether that's like they get a gift fund from a parent or they just have an extra 20,000, mm -hmm. that's one option. Another option is the seller comes down to 380 and the buyer just does a 380 loan. So first option, buyer comes up with a ton of money, seller wins. Uh, second option, the seller comes all the way down, buyer wins, right? They had a cheaper house. Or three, they meet somewhere in the middle and that's where we find most of the time, a seller will come down a little bit on price, the buyer will come up with a little bit of funds and they come up to an agreement, right? But if none of those can be met, the buyer has the right to walk away. It's part of their appraisal contingency. We have written into the contract uh, that the house has to appraise at the value of the purchase price or buyer has the right to cancel. Now, most of the time you've already come out of pocket a couple thousand dollars, maybe 1500 bucks for your inspections and your appraisal. Mm -hmm. You've already fallen in love with the house and told all your friends and you've already gotten this far in the loan. Yeah. Most of the time we see these come together whether the seller who's already packed up and moved needs to sell or the buyer needs to buy or whatever, we find a solution. Now, the way that you formulate the solution is in the request for repairs. So this is what's so important about getting your appraisal and inspections done early is that you have the time to negotiate and you have the ability to walk away if you have to. Absolutely. And the request for repairs comes back to your inspections, right? Whether it was the home, pest, roof, pool, whatever it is, right? And typically you will sit down with your agent. Uh, you can go through the inspections yourself or X, Y, Z, right? But you're figuring out anything that was flagged, you know, it's a big issue, even a minor issue. You as the buyer have a right to ask the seller to repair the items you list before the close of escrow. And conversely, the seller has no <laughs> expectation or mandate to do anything do anything unless required by uh the appraisal uh, unless there's any contingencies attached to the appraisal so seller, does not, seller oh. does not have to cooperate with the loan 
That's right. That's right. So the seller, buyer, they have their own. Absolutely. The buyer would have to come up with uh, mm -hmm. with the money if the seller won't negotiate it. And in this market, we've seen that happen. But typically, a seller will work with you for appraisal mandated stuff because most sellers are what I would deem like reasonable, level-headed. And if they say, okay, this is like a serious problem to get your loan, look, we're getting what we want. Here's a couple hundred bucks for smoke detectors. Yeah. But... Yes, so you refer back to all of your inspections and you bring attention to the things that you might have issues with. The seller has, again, no need to respond, but keep in mind if they don't respond and these are big enough issues that you're not willing to buy the house, they lose a buyer and they go back on the market and blah, blah, blah. And like, like you were using the example before, you know, kind of anything in between, if you, in your request for repairs, outline 10 items from the various inspections, the seller one has a right to not even respond to you. They they don't have the they don't have a need to respond to you. Mm -hmm. Two, they can accept any number of those things and reject any number of number of those things. So they can say, you know what, the first five items you listed, we're cool with with fixing that. We want it to be all all good for you guys when you move in. But these right. other five items, you know, we're we're not agreeing to do that. And when that comes back to you as the buyer, you can, again, this is a little negotiating period. Yes, it can be a back and forth. Typically, your agent, talking with the other agent, everybody kind of get, gets a sense of where everybody's at, and these things typically don't drag out for too long. No, people are very anxious in negotiation, so they work to get it done quickly. Now, what I will say is, on a request for repair, you have a couple different ways of asking. You can ask the seller to repair it themselves. You can ask for the seller to give you a credit at the close of escrow for the money to do it, or you can ask for a reduction in price. Any three of those things are acceptable for any type of issue. Just know it's all strategy. When you get down to it, the sellers look at what their final payout is. The buyer looks at what their final payout is. And both parties need to be in agreement that they're happy, or else you're not going to have a deal. It's important to remember in your market right now, this is a buyer, a seller's market. Buyers very often get very few to no repairs. And so when you make your offer, keep that in mind. And it's why it's important that you shop at your comfortability, not at your max. Because if you're comfortable and you have a little money, you can make any of these repairs. If you're gonna live in the house for five years, um, you know, a little dry rot on a fascia board, it's not that expensive to fix. It's just a little bit of a time and money. If you're gonna be there for five years, it's a simple repair. And going back to that, that that's a really important note to make. If you're all the way back at the showing stage and you're looking at the house and you as the buyer are already saying, oh, this will need to be fixed if before I buy this, this will need to be fixed. Let's make an offer, Let, let's get it done. You as the buyer have to be aware that the seller has no obligation to fix any of it's, those things. All purchases are as is in the contract. And you have to be comfortable with that, in that worst case scenario, if the seller tells you that they're not gonna do anything, you have to be comfortable with moving forward, or again, you have the right to cancel and back out, but up until that point, yeah. same point you made, you're a couple grand in, you gotta be comfortable if that situation were to arise. Now, let's talk about why a seller might even work with you, because most sellers, you'd expect, would just say, no, I'm not gonna help you, you agree to it, I'm done. The reasoning why is twofold. Your earnest money deposit is technically not it's a refundable deposit and again I'm not gonna get into too much detail but if you have not removed your inspection or appraisal contingency 
and you try to negotiate and the seller says, kick rocks, take it as is, you can cancel the escrow and walk away and take your earnest money deposit and you'll only be out your you know, 1500 bucks for your inspections and appraisal, but you're not gonna lose your $5,000. Now, if you were the one that was delayed and you removed your appraisal inspection contingencies and you try to negotiate and then you try to walk away, in that situation, you're almost always gonna have to give up your money. So it's important that you're timely and you listen to your agent because um, your leverage comes down to that $5,000 earnest money deposit. If you cancel on a seller and they don't get that money, well, they just went back on the market. Now they have to disclose new inspections and they have to find a new buyer who's willing to take the house. So it's in their best interest to work with you. Absolutely, and what I found too is if you know, you, uh, us as the buyer's agent and you as the buyer, if you've been timely communicative, uh, you know, everything up until this point in the escrow, uh, I found e even, you know, sellers will, they, they most understand that you're buying a home. It's a home that they've lived in that's important to them. You know, it, if you've asked for some of this, you know, little stuff, typically I found that sellers, again, they, they like to work with buyers, they want to make sure you know whoever's taking over their home. People like to feel good. Absolutely, absolutely. The biggest time we see that people get to really big problems is when it's more personal preference. I've seen people try to request paint. <laughs> yeah, for a house that doesn't need new paint, it's no. just they don't like the color, and it's like don't charge the seller for that, right? Now we're not going to tell you what to do generically. Work with your agent and escrow, of course. But now that you've gotten all of this negotiated, you lock that in and you remove your contingency. Now all that's left is just for the loan process to be completed and to sign with escrow. And so at this point we're past day 17. We're getting into the last week of escrow. Awesome. Right. So yeah. you're on day 20 now. It's a 30-day escrow and, and you're coming down into the, the final stretch. So you're going to get your CD, the closing disclosure. Essentially, it's the locked and loaded. Here's what your expenses are going to be. Here's what your monthly payment's going to be. Here's your rate. Here's your fees. All that you review it and you sign it from your lender. The government requires a three-day waiting period after you've signed it in case you change your mind, right? So it's important you do this on day 20, not day 30, because if it's on day 30, now you have to extend your escrow. You yep. cannot physically close. It's to protect you as the borrower from sharp lenders giving you really bad loans. So it's important to keep in mind in this situation you're gonna get your closing disclosure. It's reliant on you getting information to your lender, your lender working with the processor, your processor working to get conditions, you getting your conditions back to the lender, the lender submitting it back to the processor. It's kind of a cyclical process. Yeah. You're working out all the kinks of your loan, and then you get this final closing disclosure, and you, you kind of get to review. This is what it's gonna look like. Does that sound right? Absolutely, and you've had Again, the estimates and everything up till this point, the initial disclosures all the way back in the beginning of escrow. But now this is, you know, your full. This is your numbers. This are your exact numbers. This is what you can expect after you own the home. Those are your official numbers. Cool. So you get your closing disclosure. You sign that and you get your final step, which is the clear close from the bank, right? So essentially your loan's ready to go after that three-day waiting period. Now. What about checking the conditions? So if you ask for any repairs, or you ask for the sellers to be moved out, right, whatever, or tenants, you have what's called your final inspection contingency, right? And so you need to do your final walkthrough. 
this is five days or later, five days from closing or sooner, and you walk the property physically. You're looking to see if repairs that you requested and agreed on got repaired. You're looking to see if any personal property is still there. You're looking to see if there was anything that popped up, like maybe a seller banged a hole in the wall while moving. I've seen it. Yeah. Right? Um, you're checking to see if they took any appliances that they agreed to leave. You're checking to see if um, they took any security cameras or you know the family chandelier that was not agreed upon taking. Anything like that, right? And you as the buyer, you have the right to waive that final walkthrough. Us as buyers agents, we always advise and we always, and we enjoy going on those final walkthroughs with our clients. One because we have your best interests, you know, at heart. We, we, we don't want to make sure. surprised when you get there. Exactly. You know, say you waive your, you know, final walkthrough and you move in after close of escrow and all the stuff is out. Now that escrow is closed, it's a lot tougher road to navigate and come to a solution after escrow is closed because now you officially own the home and the sellers right. officially do not. And, and accidents happen. A great example would be last year, right at the end of the year, I had a client yeah. who went to remove a fridge that we had actively negotiated for my client to take as the seller. And when they took the fridge out, they broke the water hose. And the water hose spilled out water all over the main area and flooded. Well, we ended up having to negotiate and it was a very expensive repair and had the seller or had the buyer not done a final walkthrough and my seller not told everybody right when it happened that could be something that the buyer from out of town finds out after they've purchased the home and now we're talking lawsuits we're talking years of litigation it's a bad time yeah so you do your final walkthrough and then you sign with escrow so now that you've checked the home your loan's good to go the home's good to go you set up a time with the notary who takes your thumbprint, checks your ID, you sign off on all of your mortgage documents, and you sign off on all of your escrow documents, and the notary sends it back to escrow. And after escrow, and a little bit as to what those documents are, because you as the buyer at this point can be like, dude, I've signed so much, so much stuff, I don't even know what I'm signing anymore, I already signed all these loan documents. So this is for escrow. One, one of the biggest documents in that that you're signing is going to be the final closing statement. Right. You know, it just kind of line items out, you know, your purchase price, the down payment, any seller or buyer credits on there, um, how the agents are involved with their commission and stuff like that. So while you did sign a bunch of documents with the lender, this is going to be kind of escrow's portion. can be a little bit exhausting signing all this paperwork, but after well, you sign that, you're wrapped up. And your closing disclosure is a disclosure. What you sign at escrow is the actual mortgage, right? Mm -hmm. So you actual, it's your actual um, documents that will be filed on title. And then all of that information gets related to the lender. Escrow and the lender both check to make sure all the signatures were signed correctly, all that. And then they take all of that information and, oh, in escrow, you'll find out how much money you need to bring to close. So you'll have your down payment, closing costs, minus your earnest money deposit. Mm -hmm. And then you go to the bank and you wire your money to escrow, right? So that's kind of a step we look over because Cade and I will never give you advice on how to wire money because it's a, a huge fraud. Yeah, um, There's a lot of risk. So your lender and escrow will work with you very, very securely about how to do it. Um, but you wire your money in. Once the lender confirms everything, the lender wires their, you know, 95% of the purchase price, so usually a couple hundred thousand. Everything's in escrow. The All the documents are signed. Escrow then takes the documents down to the county recorder's office, and we 
were called released to record. Mm -hmm. And on closing day, the county recorder's office gives us a confirmation of recording, meaning that they have transferred the title over, they filed all the mortgage and everything. And at that point, the buyer is now the new owner of the home and the money gets sent out to the seller and the keys get delivered to the buyer. The best step right there for you as the buyer, escrow is officially closed. You've gotten through this long, tedious process, you know, what, what feels like tedious and stressful at times, but now escrow is closed. Typically, you know, your agent will meet you at the property. They'll hand you over the keys and you're in your brand new home. Your insurance takes over. Um, one note is your mortgage isn't due right away. Typically yes. lenders give you one calendar month to get caught up because they know that you just put a lot of money into the house, um, but you're the new owner. So at that point, if the house burns down, you can say that that's, that is for you to de deal with. Um, but at that point, you can go in, you can paint the walls, you can make repairs, you can move the furniture in, you can kick people off the property, whatever you wanna do. Um, only once you get that release to record confirmation. confirmation. And one little last responsibility for you as the buyer, uh, you're gonna want running water, you're gonna want electricity and all this stuff. So uh, just calling up, you know, PG&E, um, you know, City of Clovis, City of Fresno, whatever specific number you need to call, just transferring over those utilities, garbage, all that stuff. So there's no lapse in anything there and you're gonna go. The last recommendation I make to all my clients is to change their locks. Now, yes. you're gonna get all the keys that the seller had, but if that seller's lived in that house for 30 years, he's probably giving keys to the other people that he didn't get back. So my recommendation, always just get your keys changed uh, or your locks changed out. A locksmith is a couple hundred bucks. And if it's not on a weekend, it's probably cheaper. And you just bang that out and you're good to go. There we are. Well, this wraps up our three-part mini-series on how to buy a home. So quick recap, in our first episode, we had our close friend, mortgage lender, David Keller on talking about the pre-approval process. Yep. Episode two, we covered showings and making offers and hopefully getting your offer accepted. And today we wrapped up with talking about the escrow process and getting from offer accepted all the way to handing over your keys and in your brand new home. So. Yep. We hope you guys took a lot of value from this. We started this little mini series because we were getting a lot of questions about the home buying process. Uh, a lot of misconceptions that we were having to explain too. So we hope you guys took a lot of value from this. If there are any questions that you guys have after listening to these, please hit either one of us up. We'd be more than happy to help you guys out and answer any, any additional questions you guys might have. All right, that seems to wrap it up. Thank you guys so much for joining. And uh, if you have any questions about buying a home or anything within the buying process, give us a call and we'll be able to give you uh, the best information for the situation. Thanks, guys.